So tonight we will look at Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O my God, I cry in the daytime, thou hearest not, and in the night I am silent. But thou art hope thou inhabitest a bill. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake their heads, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as ravening and roaring lions. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, and it's melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, and they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them. And cast lot upon my vesture. Be not thou far from me, O Lord, O my strength. Haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him. And fear him, all ye the seed of Israel. For he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard. My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. All they that be fat upon the earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before him, and none can keep alive his soul. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done this. So tonight, we'll be preaching on a psalm of the cross. So Psalm 22 is a, the first of a trilogy of messianic psalms, psalms that are about Jesus. And this, as we can easily guess from the very first words of the psalm of the cross, and this is the psalm that Jesus quoted while he was there hanging on uh, Calvary's tree. 
the psalm from the introduction you can see was written by David. And I think it's about something that he experienced that he wrote in a poetic way to describe what was happening to him. But prophetically, it prefigured the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And so what I want to do is to kind of go through this twice. And first to consider David as as he is the, the penman. And once we go through and have that in our mind, come back a second time and see the greater David, Christ, in this psalm. Because the point of the psalm is to reflect on the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and his covenant faithfulness to his people and providing unworthy and undeserving sinners salvation and everlasting life. That's what we should walk away with when we consider this psalm of the cross. And so it begins with this prayer of dereliction. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And the words of my roaring. So it would seem from the very beginning, as, as we first consider this from David's perspective, that his, his own personal failings, his own sin and his situation are linked together. Because you see in verse number three, he talks about the holiness of God. So he talks about God forsaking him, and he talks about God's holiness. And then verse 6, but I am a worm and no man. I think David was in a situation where he felt where he was being persecuted and perhaps forsaken and alone as a result of just the sin in this world. Even if it wasn't something that David had personally done to cause the situation, it's a result of the fall that David, God's man, is being persecuted and suffering. And in this time, I believe that David recognizes that sin is the result of this forsakenness, or is the cause of it, rather, of this forsakenness. Rather than walking with God in the cool of the day, David cries day and night with no answer. He cries in the daytime. He cries in the night season. He is not silent. But it seems that God is silent. And he cries out unto God who it seems has left him alone. Then we get to verses 3 through 5. David then turns to Meditate upon who he's praying to. So here is, here is one that's crying out unto the God who he asks, why has you forsaken me? So he's praying to God. But then he praises him. He said, but thou art holy. Thou inhabitest the praises of Israel. You are holy. You are worthy of praise. In verse 4, God is dependable. The fathers trusted in God and God saved them. God is faithful. They cried out to God and God delivered them. God saved them. God is steadfast. In verse 5, 
They trusted in the Lord and they weren't ashamed and they weren't disappointed because they trusted in the Lord and they weren't confounded because God didn't, God kept his end of what he said he would do. It's not like they trusted in someone who was unfaithful and then they were left holding the bag. No, they cried into God and they were saved. They trusted in God was steadfast in his covenant faithfulness. So he knows that God is faithful. He knows that God is holy. He knows that God is steadfast and and faithful to his covenant and dependable and will not forsake his people. But then we have this transition of verse 6, but I am a worm. So he lifts up God as holy, worthy of praise, faithful, steadfast. He said, but I am a worm. People look at him as nothing, less than human, a reproach of men. And you read there through verses 6 through 8, they laugh at him, they make fun of him, they deride him, they shoot the lip, they shake the head. They are cruel. They are mean-spirited. See, this is the seed of the serpent. The, the, The children of the devil. And they despise David as being God's man. They mock him. They ridicule him because they think that David is being judged. Ha! He trusted in the Lord that, that the Lord would deliver him. He's supposed to be the one that the Lord delighted in. And, and now look and see what's going on. So they mock David and also laughing at God. God is faithful. But David said, here I am a worm. Hated, despised, mocked, ridiculed. I'm not even treated human. So now in verse number 9 through 11, he goes back to talking about God and this is his prayer. But thou art he that took me out of my mother's womb, made me hope when I was on my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. So he goes back and says, from my, from my mother's womb, you have protected me. And you, God, you have kept me. You have been with me. Before I was even aware of really what was going on, and all I knew was, was my mom. You were with me. You've been my help from before I was born. So don't be far from me now. When trouble is near, when I'm all alone, when there's no one else that can help me. So this is the prayer of one who feels forsaken, who knows he needs God and he desires to be near God. But one who is not going to walk away and throw up his hands and say, well, this isn't right. This isn't fair. 
I don't deserve to be treated like this. I, I give up and I walk away. No, David, trust in the Lord. You've never forsaken me. You've always been with me. And now when trouble is, is near and there's no one else to help, don't, don't leave me. Be, be near me, dear God. It's a heartbreaking prayer. And it seems it just gets worse because in verses 12 through 18, we have these dangerous enemies. The, the seed of the serpent, the sons of the devil. And they're described with animal metaphors. The bulls of Bashan, the roaring lion, the dogs have compassed me. And these aren't pet dogs, these are wild wild beasts. So uh, wild ravening dogs and lions and, and bulls and, and oxen, they've all... They're all there showing these big, powerful animals. And they've got him cornered. These dangerous animals have him cornered. And as we read this section, it's like one man said, it's more that we feel this than, than we need to describe it. Because you can read it and you can just you can feel the 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 danger of a man, of a man that's compassed. So in verse 12, many bulls have compassed me and strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. And then verse 16, the dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. So these wicked men, these fierce animals, these, these wild beasts have circled him. So not only is he alone, but now he's been he's circled, he's trapped. He's outnumbered. He's outgunned. He's back into a corner. He's all alone. He, he has no help. There's no one coming to save him. So just you just read this and just you picture the being surrounded uh, by by these these beasts, these wild evil men that can only be described as, as these, uh, with these animal metaphors for their fierceness and their, their enmity. And he turns, and you can't reason with, you can't reason with these bulls, you can't reason with these dogs, right? They're animalistic in their hatred, and, and he's surrounded, and he's all alone. Not only that, but you have these, as David writes this, because we know that David didn't die, so they were these death metaphors. So it, as, as we read this, thinking about David writing it, he's on the verge of death. So not only is he surrounded, he's poured out like water. So what do you do if you're in a drought and the, the ground is as hard as a rock? And you go out and you pour a glass of water on the ground. Well, you can't go scoop it back up, can you? It just soaks up into the water and it's gone. It's, that's it. Or it soaks up into the ground, the dirt, and that's it. Well, that's what he's like. He's poured out like water. His bones are all out of joint. His heart, not 
flesh, but just melted like wax. His strength is dried up like a potsherd. His tongue cleaves to his jaw. They pierced his hands and his feet. So now if we envisage this this, uh, poem here, this psalm, David is surrounded by all these animals. He's poured out like water, pierced and broken. Physically, maybe this is describing an incident. Maybe David was overcome by his enemies and maybe they beat him half to death and, and left him for dead. Or maybe this is just describing his spiritual state as he's been betrayed and, and left alone and, and forsaken. And it seems as if there's no help from God. They mock him. They pierce him. They beat him as his bones stare upon him. The garments are parted, so they've stripped him of his clothes. They rob him. They surrounded him. They deride him. And he's all alone. Most desperate of search the situations. Well, then verse 19 through 21, there's another prayer and a turn. When it seems all hope is lost, there's nowhere else to go. There's nothing that he can do. David cries out again to God. Don't leave me. Be not thou far from me. Oh, my strength, haste to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorn. Help me. Save me. Save me from the enemy. Save me from the power of the dog. Save me. You've heard me from the horn of the the one-horned beast. Maybe an ox, maybe. Um, Whatever the one-horned beast is. But this is where things start to turn. This is where we see things remarkably go from hopeless even to death, to hope. It goes from forsakenness and a plea of salvation to praise. It turns here. Now, what I want to do is I want to pause right here and then we're going to go back and just kind of rethink this just for um, a moment, but as prefiguring Christ. Now, does David sit down and write this psalm and say, well, I'm going to prophesy about the future Messiah? Well, I, I think what David writes these psalms, he writes them from his own experience because we know that a lot of these psalms, we have the, the heading that says this is whenever he ran from Saul, this is when he ran from Absalom and all these different things. But I think David knows that his life prefigures his descendant. That his life prefigures a future son, a future king. Because the promise was made to David. 
So uh, James Hamilton said, I don't think David knew the details about Jesus dying on the cross. But I think David surely intended these words to communicate the problem that his future descendant promised to solve. And so I'm going to quote Acts 2 here. It says, For Dave, Peter said, David speaketh concerning him, or Jesus, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand. I should not be moved. And in Acts 2.29, Peter said, Men and brethren, let me speak freely unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us today. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had swore with him an oath, that the fruit of his loins, according to flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on the throne. So Peter gives us sort of a rubric by which we can think about how David thought about these songs. Because Peter said that God had revealed to him, him being a prophet, David, he knew that God had made a promise to him that through the fruit of his loins, through his descendants, according to the flesh, Christ would be raised up to sit upon the throne. David knew about the Garden of Eden. He knew about the fall. He knew about the promise of the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent. He knew of the promise of Abraham that through the seed of Abraham, all, uh, all nations would be blessed. He knew uh, to the promise that was made to Judah of the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he knew that a, the Christ would come through his line. And so, knowing this, I think David knew that his life was a, in, in many times and places, was a picture of that Christ. And so I th think that he wrote his experience knowing that it would take one to, to enter into suffering on the behalf of his people. That only this Messiah, this Christ, could save us. And so, this psalm is a messianic psalm. Jesus, hanging on the cross, said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus had committed no sin, but he was made a curse for us. He felt the weight of the fall and cried out unto the Lord, for, uh, and cried out unto the Lord during this time of agony. This is a great mystery, and we can't fathom all that happened there upon the cross. I mean, there's things that we do know, and so we take the things that we do know, and and uh, we we cling on to those. We know that there's one God and one being of God and three persons: Father, Son, and Spirit. We know that Jesus is truly God. We know that the person of the Son assumed a human nature. We know that there on the cross, the divine person of the Son, there is a divine nature and a human nature. So there's one person and two natures. We know that since God is one and God is Trinity, that the Trinity can't be broken. Right? That, that's impossible. It, it can't, we can't have two-thirds of God. That's not, how, that's not how you even think about the Lord God. 
Fred Sanders said, the notion that God came apart into person pieces, broke up, was two-thirds deity, untrinitied for one weekend, really just needs to be stated for most Christian people to recognize it as nonsense and reject it as false. So what we do is, was we, like Jesus didn't say, my father, my father. He said, my God, my God. So what we do is when we think about this, we think about the words that it says, and we, we consider, we don't say, well, this is what the Trinity is like, but we say, this is how God saves sinners. We think about the revelation, as Sanders said, of the divine human relationship under conditions of sin and atonement. Jesus Christ, bearing our sins, called out to God about its consequences and how he carries them. We recognize our own sinful cry in his sinless voice, and we know the answer. Why? For us and our salvation. So we don't need to go further than what the the text reveals and what the scripture reveals and other passages reveal. That Jesus Christ um, cries out to God, to God as our sin bearer in our place and for our sins. Jesus was not sinful, but he was the sin bearer. So David could think of God and say, He is holy and I am not. Jesus cries out unto God. Not as a sinful one, but one who bears the sins of his people. In verses 6 through 11, we see that he was reproached and despised, rejected. He suffered and was mocked and derided on our behalf. The sinless son of God was mocked. And they said, well, let God deliver him. And the, the funny thing about it is that God did. He was delivered. That, that they thought they had one over on him. They thought that they had defeated the Lord Jesus, but no. They played right into that, you know, they were enacting what God had ordained for the salvation of his people. Jesus had come to die for the sins of his people, to pay the penalty, and to redeem us with his precious blood. God did delight in him. They used that as a mock, but God did delight in his son. All those animal metaphors, all the surrounding uh, of the, the animals being surrounded by the enemies, These were not metaphors for the Lord Jesus, but it's what happened. They pierced him. They whipped him that his bones were exposed. It's not as if he he died and was left for dead, but he actually died. Jesus wasn't on the verge of death, but they killed the Lord of glory. Verses 12 through 17 describe the viciousness with which the enemies of God, and not just the sons and the seed of the serpent, but the devil himself, hated the Lord Jesus. Despising him. Calling for his death. 
them. But then we have that prayer in the turn in verses 19 through 21. See, what David wrote about and lived prefigured the suffering of the coming king. David's life was a pattern and a picture of that greater David. The one who would not just suffer, but would suffer and die. The one who would not just get delivered, but rise from the dead. The one who would solve the sin problem once and for all. The one who would conquer not just the bulls of Bashan and not just the raving lions, but he would conquer the serpent himself. The one who would come to crush the head of the serpent. And we read of his heel being bruised, but this prayer of deliverance shows us the victorious rising from the dead. So now we've, we've caught up to, to back where we were. The, the sufferings prophesied of what would really come to pass. And I think when Jesus prayed this prayer, when he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? All of this was upon his mind. I've heard uh, some people describe it like this, that if I said amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that you, you may have already finished the sentence. You may have finished the line. Right? But just saying those words puts you in mind of the rest of the song. And perhaps this prayer, Jesus knowing this prayer, this psalm was about him, cries out in a true prayer. But knowing uh, the, the whole theme of the, the prayer. Look in verse 22. I will declare thy name unto the, my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. So now we got a big shift. We last see the hands and the feet pierced, the bones exposed, the heart like wax, his bones out of joint, his tongue cleaving to the jaws. And then now we see declaring the name, singing praises. You ever been so thirsty that you're... Tongue kind of sticks to the roof of your mouth. It'd be hard to sing in that kind of situation, wouldn't it? Well, there's a big change here, isn't it? From from verses 12 to 18 to to singing praises in the midst of the congregation. Hebrews 2, 12 quotes this, saying, I will declare thy name unto the brethren in the midst of the church while I sing praise unto thee. This is about the risen Christ who died and now has risen again. Who was pierced and crucified, despised and rejected, now stands in the midst of the congregation, now meets in the midst of the church. And I will sing praise unto thee. The Lord of glory. Here among us tonight, he's not laying in a tomb somewhere. 
He's not laying in the manger. He's not dead on the cross. He's not lying in the tomb. But He is risen. He is risen. And He declares His name unto the brethren in the midst of the congregation. The risen Christ declares His name and then praises of faithfulness. Well then, verses 23 to 4, declare the name of the brethren and praise Here's a shift. It's been either thou talking to God or I or me talking to himself. But now verse 23, you see the shift in the pronouns, ye that fear the Lord. So the shift goes not from talking of himself, not to talking to others or not talking to God, not talking to himself, about himself, but now looking out to the congregation, looking out to us. Ye that fear the Lord. Praise him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All ye the seed of Israel, for he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard. There's the, the answer to the problem we had earlier. The people have despised and rejected. Look in verse 6. I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. But now in verse 24, for he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Neither hath he hid his face from him. Why hast thou forsaken me? Neither hath he hid his face from him. Why art thou so far from helping me and the words of my roaring? But when he cried unto him, he heard, it says. We see that that hour at Calvary has, has passed. The son was not forsaken and cast aside, though he paid the penalty for sin. The Trinity was not broken. The son was not cast aside. God is faithful. And here... Declaring the name unto the brethren. We get the reasons for everyone to praise God. Fear Him. Praise Him. Glorify Him. He has not, he has not despised us or rejected us. My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear them. The Lord will be praised among the people of God. The Lord Jesus amid us in the congregation will be praised. Those who hate the Lord Jesus outside the congregation, they, they despise and reject it, but in the congregation, the praise shall be to the faithfulness of God. And here's a prayer for us in verse 26 and 27. The meek shall eat and be satisfied that shall praise the Lord that seek them. Your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. David writes about his own experience which prefigures Christ and applies it to us. The application of this is that we praise God for what he did. And we can sing and pray this prayer and trust in the Lord as our Savior. 
we can praise God and, and pray because we, you and I, fit, fulfill verse 27 tonight. All the ends of the world, even Clay County, West Virginia, shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he is the governor of the nations. All they that be fat upon the earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow down before him. And none can keep alive his own soul. Um, my friend uh, Medford Caudill, he was a uh, pastor, he passed, long, passed away several years ago, but he would always he, he would joke about verses like this because in uh, Bible times that was... Uh, that was a sign of being blessed. You know, we, we have so much food, we, we try to refrain ourselves from eating so we don't gain weight. But if you, were in a, if you had to go out and hunt or raise your own food and, and that kind of thing, then, then you might be skin and bones. But if you look at somebody that had some weight on him, you'd say, man, that guy must be blessed. He's got more food than he knows what to do with, right? So, so that's what that's talking about, just people who are, who are blessed upon the earth, having abundance. They shall eat and worship. They that go down in the dust shall bow before him. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness. A people that shall be born that he hath done this. There's a generation that shall be born. You and I, generation, so many thousands of years since this was written. Declare his righteousness. He has done it. The Lord has done it. Jesus has suffered for us. He has died for us. He has risen for us. His righteousness is ours through faith. He has done it. What, what joy we we have at the end of this psalm. And though it begins in such cries of sorrow and agony, much of which is just hard for us to even understand, we get to the end and the people of God are praising God for His goodness and His righteousness. Look at Christ. He has done it. The King has come and undone. He did. He he saved us. Only He could save us. Only He could deliver us from the situation and He did it. Only Christ could die for our sins and He did it. Only Christ could have, give us His righteousness and He did it. So as we meditate on this psalm, we, we see the great cost of our salvation, but we see the covenant faithfulness of the Lord Jesus. Praise God, what a Savior. Well, may the Lord add the blessing to His word.